All right, good morning, and I'm glad all of you have joined us today. It's going to be a good day. And, uh, and before we get into the, the content for our message today, there's one thing that I want to talk about. Jess mentioned it in her host comments earlier, but I feel like I need to, to make a special statement about this, okay? In two weeks, the Family Center is doing a father-son cookout, okay? We're doing a father-son cookout. It's going to be so much fun. There will be kickball. You did hear this. She said that in the lobby, all right? So we're going back to, like, elementary school, and we're going to play kickball. We'll play, like, low-paced kickball. Don't worry, all right? Nobody's going to get too badly hurt. Um, so, you know, we'll be nice, all right? But, but we're going to play kickball. We're going to have uh, lots of fun games. And then Tommy Whitley is cooking barbecue, and when Tommy Whitley cooks barbecue, it's a good time. So I want to make sure, dads, that you get signed up for this because I know you don't sign up for stuff right? I don't either. She signed me up for it, but I know that you don't sign up for stuff. Most of you that are married, your wife signs you up for stuff, and so you never do it, and so you need to sign up for this. So I'm going to make it really easy for you, okay, guys? All right, I'm going to put a QR code on the screen right now. Boom. All right, put a QR. Here's all you got to do, all right? Pull out your phone. Give you permission. Pull out the phone. Bring up your camera app. Just point it at it. You don't even have to take a picture. In fact, taking a picture won't work. Point it at it, and then a little link is going to pop up. Click on the link. It'll take you to the page to sign up, all right? You get signed up right now. Do it right now. If you don't do it right now, you're not going to do it, okay? So do it right now and get signed up. We're going to have a blast, and I want more and more and more of you there because the more of you are there, the more bragging rights I have when I win at kickball, okay? So that's how that works. So anyway, I want to make sure that you get signed up for that. And then uh, also coming up very soon, we have, just mentioned this, we have our... Um, uh, meet our church family class. It's one of our connection classes. And this is, this is like the front door for us. Um, this is where you come and you learn about exactly who we are, where we came from, but what we believe, what our mission is, what our vision is, how it all works here. It's like introduction to Carolina Family Church. And if you're new around here, come to this class, okay? Come to it. Get signed up for it. You're going to learn about who we are, and it's important for you to know that. And we also have a little Q&A time at the end, so if you have any questions or want to talk about details, we'll talk about, like, how we're structured and all that kind of stuff. Those are questions people have. Um, we'll talk about membership and what that looks like. But if you come to Newton CFC, we are not going to ask you to join our church, okay? Not yet. That's a first date. We're not going to do, we're not going to ask you to marry us on the first date. That would be weird. So, I mean, it's happened before, but that would be weird. So we're going to do that, and then the week after, we'll do a class. Jess is going to lead it called Join Our Church Family. There she'll talk about how you get plugged in and all of that. So if you haven't done either one of those things yet or one of those things, make sure that you do it. It's a really important step in getting connected with our church, all right? Um, so, I, and I, I get so excited about doing this class. We don't do it that often, but when we do it, I get excited about it because we get to talk about why our church exists and where it came from and why we planted it. And it's a little unique and different than other places based on why we did this in the first place. And if you don't know that story, we'll talk about that then. And I love it because I love our church. If I didn't, we'd have a real problem. You know what I mean? So I love our church. And, but it's like, but you got to be careful because I love our church. I love the way that we do things. I'm really passionate about that and really believe in the structure and the organization and the values that we have and all that. But even though that makes us unique in some ways, it doesn't make us better than other churches or other ministries or other pastors or other people. It just makes us different and special in our own way. And we want to make sure that 
that that's the kind of thing that you want to be a part of and that there are no surprises for you as you get more and more connected into the, the church's life and the church's family. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't make us special. And that's kind of where we're going to get into the message today as we're going through the book of Romans and we're reading through and studying through not only here and teaching in the message, but also studying and discussing more uh, uh, further in groups during the week. Um, and I'll, I'll allude to that a few times as we're going through today. Uh, Paul has been starting off this book of Romans, and even though the book of Romans is about the good news, and that's the, the sort of the, the, the meta story of the whole thing, um, he has to start off with bad news because he needs everyone to understand very clearly why they need the good news, and um, he needs to leave nobody out. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about, um, that we had to talk about the bad news first, and that was that, you know, God had put his, his print on all of creation and all of life, and so that um, he, he could be clearly seen. So there's nobody who's without, or there's nobody who's without excuse. There's nobody who's ever uh, not had the thought, maybe there's a God, and maybe he has a way things are supposed to work. He talked about people who... Um, participate in sin. And he said, obviously, these people have sinned and have failed God. Now, last week we said, well, there might be a group of people that would say, yeah, absolutely, those people have failed God, but that doesn't, that's not me because I'm a moral person. I'm a good person. And so last week we had to talk about bad news for good people. <laughs> we talked about the Greek moralists and the Stoic philosophy that existed at the time and the idea that if you were virtuous, if you behaved properly or well, then you were good. But if you behaved improperly, then you were bad. And so people thought it was, it was about outward appearances and that you would look at someone and say, well, they're good. And so obviously they're on God's side. Obviously God is on their side. Obviously they're going to get into heaven because they're a really good person because they're really nice, and they're really kind, and they're really sweet, and they're really generous, and they're really all of these things. But the problem is that even good people fall short, because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody fails. Everybody falls. And what you see on the outside of a person is only a very small portion of who they actually are. And so that's bad news, I'm afraid, for good people. But there was another group of people who might be reading this letter who might think that not only the first thing didn't apply to them, but also the second thing didn't apply to them. And so Paul needs, he's casting a wide net, and he needs to catch them too. Because in their church and in all around them, they would have seen and known people who were faithful, devout Jews, who had the law, who were God's chosen people. I mean, you read through the Old Testament, and you see how God selected them and set them aside and made them a promise and made a covenant with them, and then he gave them the law so that they could learn, so they could, so they had a system for sacrifices and for what to eat and not eat, where and not where, how to celebrate certain feasts and festivals, all of these things, how to make the proper sacrifices to him, and, and all of this that they were given. And it would be very easy for the Jews to think that because they were chosen by God, because they had been given and blessed with the law, that they were operating on a different plane than everyone else, that they were, that they were special, that they were uh, in a different class than everyone else in the world. And so they allowed this, in many cases, to turn them into elitists, religious elitists. And they would look at Gentiles, that was anyone who wasn't a Jew, and they would call the Gentiles, the derogatory term they would use for them is dog. Those are dogs. 
And you're not going to waste your time on the dogs because we are the chosen people of God. And so what they might think, they might think, yes, of course, people who are overtly sinning, obviously, obviously they are sinners. And yes, those those Greek moralists, those people who just think that their good behavior is going to get them into God's presence and earn them reward, like obviously that doesn't count. But we, we are the chosen people of God and we follow the law. So certainly that earns our spot. Certainly we can keep the law well enough that we could be in his presence and be justified in front of God by the law. That's what they may think. And so Paul needs to deal with them. They had all kinds of laws that they had to follow, many, many hundreds of them. Uh, They had uh, a covenant with God. One of the signs of the covenant that they had with God, I hate to say, listen, here's the deal. We got to talk about circumcision a little bit, okay? I know you don't want to, but we need to, all right? They would actually call themselves the circumcision. We are of the circumcision because that was the physical symbol of being a part of the the nation of Israel. It was part of the covenant. It's something they were supposed to do. And so they took great pride in it, and they would talk about it, and they would identify themselves based on it. And uh, Paul has to deal with them and this mentality. So what, you know, how does this relate to them? And then also, how does this relate to somebody who doesn't have the law? What about them? All right, let's, we're going to pick up in Romans chapter 2. All right, Romans chapter 2 in verse 12. Give you just a second to get there. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. I hear pages turning. I like that. All right. Now, all right. Paul says in verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. So he's going to explain this a little more, but if if we can pause for a second, what he's saying is that the Jews, the Israelites who have the law, that's the standard by which they're going to be judged. But people who are born without the law don't have that standard. Right? To be held up to? That that expectation has not been made to them. You think maybe about the classic example of a person who's on a desert island somewhere. They don't have access to the law. They don't know anything about the Ten Commandments. They don't know anything about that stuff. Well, what are they judged by? Well, not by the law because they didn't have it. All right? They perish without it. So this, this is parenthetical in verse 13. All right? For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. So he's talking about the the Jews who have the law, they're justified, not just in hearing the law, but in actually doing it, carrying it out, practicing it perfectly. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So it's it's a little wordy, but essentially what he's saying is someone who is born without the law still recognizes the principles of the law because it's seen all around them. We, We talked about this. He's talked about this in Romans, that the evidence of God is imprinted everywhere, all around us. You you can't deny it. 
And so even someone who doesn't have the explicit rule or the law knows certain things to be true innately. It's, it's our conscience. You, you look at um, really any society, almost every single society in the world that's ever existed has agreed on some very fundamental principles about behavior and, and life. Like, and there may, be, there, may be, uh, 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 there may be exceptions to this in certain cultures and small pockets, but, but by and large, it's always accepted that lying is wrong on some level, that making a commitment to someone and breaking it is wrong on some level, that taking the life of someone else senselessly is wrong on a very deep level. There are certain moral principles that pervade all of humanity, no matter where you are and what set of rules they may have. And so the the principles of the law are, are imprinted on us. And so even if you don't have the explicit law and all the rules and all the regulations, you still have the spirit of the law in your conscience and you are held accountable to that. So, so whether you're a Jew who has the law and you're being held accountable to that, or you're a, a non-Jew, a Gentile who doesn't have the law and you're held accountable to conscience, the problem is we fall short of both. So it doesn't really matter. We fall short of both. It says, uh, Paul says, um, verse 16, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Jesus Christ, who was the perfect keeper of the law. He's the only one that ever did it. Everybody else falls short. And Paul says that God will judge our secrets. Now, that makes me really nervous, <laughs> right? I mean, it's easy. It's easy to put on a show. It's easy to make people think that you are spiritual or that you're moral or whatever. But you take a second. I just want, just, I'm, I've been doing this with myself all week long. Self-reflect for a minute and think about what goes on here for you. What happens out here with with my body and with my words and with my actions is like a micro fraction of who I actually am. The things that I do pale in comparison to the things that I think. I have so many thoughts and so many feelings and so many, all of this desires and passions, all of this stuff happening inside of my heart, and only a very, very small percentage of that actually gets out of my mouth or my hands, right? And God doesn't judge us based on what comes out of our mouth or our hands. He, go, he judges us based on what's here. And if he's judging me based on what's here, I fall way short, way short. And every single person does. See, we just read what's on the outside of a person and then we make judgments about them. And that's not a good, that, 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 that's not true. That's not real. Um, this past weekend, we got the chance to go down for a couple weeks to visit our friends, the Kenderdines in South Carolina, who might be watching today, by the way. Hey, guys. Um, um, and, uh, and we went bowling at this kind of cool bowling place. And then afterward, walked over to Barnes & Noble. I hadn't been in a, like a legit bookstore in a very long time. Uh, I didn't buy any books. Um, anyway, but we went in, 
yeah, our kids, yeah, they love it. Anyway, so I'm walking around with Josie because she's looking for, for books to read. And we go to the, one of those display tables, and she walks up. We're just kind of standing and looking around. And she reaches down, and she picks up this book, and she says, this looks like it'd be pretty good. And I thought I was being clever. I said, uh, Josie, are you judging a book by the cover? <laughs> and she, being smarter than me, said, how else are you supposed to judge it? <laughs> she said, she said, I can't read the whole book and then decide whether to buy it. <laughs> I was like, well, that's fair. You know, it's fair. Anyway, <laughs> there's, there's no way, like, there's so much. We judge, we have to judge books by the cover. And it's one of the real problems with, with our world and with social media and everything. I mean, you, you go on social media and you're judging 100% of your life based on the best 1% of someone else's life or the best 1% of a bunch of other people's lives. Like, that's not fair. That's not fair. To, to think about all of the things that, that I struggle with, the things that I get frustrated with or I'm afraid of or whatever, that never would ever make it to social media, let alone even necessarily words that I would speak to someone else. And to know all of those things that are going on inside of us, man, like can you imagine? Just imagine. Imagine what people would think of you if you posted 100% of what you thought and felt on social media unfollow. Like I, like, I don't want to see that, you know? I mean, I, can you even imagine? Yet, that is what God judges. That is what God sees. And so, if any of us, whether we are, whether we're trying to just be moral and a good person, or whether we're trying to be religious and follow all the rules and do all the right things, if any of us thinks that we stand up to the standard of Jesus Christ, the standard of perfection, we are kidding ourselves. We are lying to ourselves or somebody else is lying to us. But it's not true. We can't do it. You can't do it, and I can't do it. All right, Paul goes on. I feel like, you know what I was thinking? If I put my, all my thoughts and feelings and stuff on social media, I get a lot of those cry faces, you know? Like the little emoji with the cry. Be like, oh, <laughs> poor guy. You know? I don't think I probably wouldn't have my job anymore, to be honest with you. Probably wouldn't have that either. But that's not the way that it works. All right, so Paul's going to go on here, verse 17. He, we're judged by the secrets, um, we're judged the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. All right, verse 17. Indeed, you are a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. And now he may have had a few people going, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, you're right. We are special. We are different. We do have all of this. But Paul is starting a, um, a literary device called the diatribe. All right, this is called the diatribe. It's where he creates a, uh, a false third party and that person says something that he is going to rebut later. And so he's going to set up this, this, this false person who's going to say these things that people are going to identify with, and then he's going to come in and cut that person down. So they might be identifying with this in this diatribe. It's tongue-in-cheek. That there, there was very much a, uh, an attitude of religious elitism and superiority. They would have been, you're right, we are a light to the rest of the world, and we are light, and they are darkness, and we are good, and they are bad, and we are justified before God, and they are not. You're right, and they might start like elevating up on this 
this pedestal at he's, as he's saying this, but he's getting ready to cut them down. He's going, and like, that is totally what they say. That is totally what they say. And then he goes to this, verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you not dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name, and this is a quote from Isaiah 52, for the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. Paul's saying you are not off the hook. Just because you're a Jew, just because you follow the law, just because you teach it, you're not off the hook. You, your teaching is self-incriminating. As you talk about sin, you should be recognizing your own sin, but you're not. As you're teaching sin or talking about sin, you're recognizing other people's sin. But you're doing the same things. What he's doing here is he's calling out religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy, people who put themselves on a self-righteous pedestal and look down at everyone else, and he said, you don't belong there because you do the same things that they do. It doesn't matter whether you do all of the religious things or even if you teach religious things. You know, whether if you, you can't earn your way to be justified before God by keeping rules. You can't do it. You're incapable of it. I'm incapable of it. You can't earn your way to God by instructing people in the rules. That doesn't absolve you from them. It doesn't absolve me from them. You know, I, I think about this. So I'm a, I'm a pastor. I've and I, I preach and I stand on stage and, 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 and talk to people and talk about what sin is and what it's not and all those kinds of things. While at the same time, you need to know I struggle with and deal with sin just like anybody else does. Although I, like you, am trying to increase in holiness as much as I possibly can. Still make mistakes. But you might think, well, a pastor, certainly a pastor, certainly if they get up and preach or certainly if they get up and teach, Certainly they are earning extra points. Surely, surely they're, you know, like making their way or could make their way to heaven or uh, to be justified. But it, hey, it is not true, okay? Being a religious teacher doesn't give you special status. It gives you special scrutiny. <laughs> so I understand that as a pastor that I am held to a higher standard because I teach. I understand that that because I'm aware of certain things or teach or talk about certain things that I'm held to a higher standard by other people. But also I understand that ultimately we are all in the same place. We are all in the same place. We are all sinners. We all need the gospel. We all need Jesus Christ because we can't do what he did. I can't keep the law and neither can you. But he did. And because he did, he offered himself on the cross in our place. And we can receive his righteousness, not by what we do, but by what he did. Because all of us fall short. All of us fall short. Now, let's keep going. Um, verse, we're at verse 25 then. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. He's talking about keeping the law perfectly, okay, if you keep the law. 
But if you're a breaker of the law, which, by the way, he's already said they all are, (laughs) if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? This is, I know it's a lot, but it's there, okay? <laughs> we'll explain. We'll talk about it, all right? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? Basically, he's, if we can pause for a second, he's, he's, he's giving a ridiculous situation, all right? This is an intentionally ridiculous and impossible situation. He's saying, if you think that just being a part of the nation justifies you, it doesn't at all, okay? I mean, if somebody weren't a part of the nation of Israel, if they were uncircumcised and they kept the whole law, well, then wouldn't they be justified before him? Yes. Is that possible? No, no, it's never happened. But he's saying, don't think that just because you're of the circumcision, just don't think just because you're of the nation, don't think just because you have the law and you do some of it sometimes that you are above anyone else or beyond anyone else. We're not, all right? A transgressor of the law. All right, verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. This idea of a circumcised heart is what he says. That's not a new idea. It's, it's talked about several times in the Old Testament. It's a positive example of it in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and a negative example of it in Jeremiah chapter 9. But they are, they are so concerned about the outward, about the religious, about the behavior, about the practice, about the keeping of the rules, that they have forgotten what is most important, and that's what's here. It's, it's about here. Jesus, uh, he rails against the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. And you're going you're gonna to talk more in groups this week. You're going to talk more about that exact, like what he said and, and, and what he was talking about. So you're going to dig more deeply into Matthew 23. But the problem there is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were like, he called them vessels that were, they would clean the outside of the dish and make a very presentable form, but the inside was filthy. That they were so concerned with being seen a certain way, being religious, that they weren't being faithful. And it was causing them to break the law. And he just needs them to see that they are transgressors of the law, just like anyone else would be. Now, this is bad news. It's more bad news. I get that. He's getting ready to turn the corner to the good news. Don't worry. We are getting there very soon. He hasn't given the solution yet to this problem. But he's getting there, and he's turning them toward the truth. Truth that nobody is in a better position Some people have more information. Some people have more access to the truth about God. But we're all in the same position. We're all sinners. We're all transgressors. We have all fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us in droves. Nobody has anything to brag about. Nobody has any positions of of superiority or elitism. Not teachers, not pastors, not anybody. 
Paul says this when he writes to the Philippians. All right, this is to another church at a different time. Philippians chapter 3. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in, Je- in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, meaning they're going to stand on their resume, they're going to stand on their ability to keep the law, if anybody could, I could. He says, I'm more so. You want to compare resumes? Let's compare resumes. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he said, if you want to compare resumes, we can compare resumes. I kept the law as well as anybody. There's nobody that could hold a candle to me. But here's what he thinks now about that resume. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That is where justification in front of God comes from. Not on your ability to keep the rules and do all the right things. Not on my ability to keep all the rules and do all the right things. That wasn't the truth with the law. It wasn't the truth with the Mosaic Covenant when they had it. It's not the truth today for Christians. You can't look at the Bible and assess everything that's sin and just do all of the right things and look at it as a rule book or a checklist. And if you keep all the rules or you check all the boxes, that that's how you're going to be right in front of God. There there are people who think that they are justified before God because they think they're living a good life based on biblical principles, but that's not where righteousness comes from. Righteousness doesn't come from your self-effort or from mine. It can't. We're incapable. We're humans. We know that. All we have to do is spend about 30 seconds thinking about what we've thought or felt over the last day. And we know we fall short. But there was one who lived without sin. There was one who fulfilled the law completely. There was one who gave his life on the cross and offered to give you his righteousness. Not by anything you do. Not by making him happy. Not by taking the cosmic scales and putting enough weight on the good side. But simply by faith and believing what he had done. And trusting him for salvation. And looking at Jesus and thinking about Jesus on the cross, taking your place, paying for your sin and for my sin, and saying, yes, I accept. I believe I accept. Knowing that Jesus Christ was put into the tomb and rose again on the third day alive and well today, conquering sin and conquering death, and that simply by putting my faith in him and trusting in him instead of trusting in myself, I can be a child of God, forgiven, free, and spend eternity with God beginning now. 
and you can do the same thing. But you can't do it by trusting in yourself because you will fail. You can only do it by trusting in him. And that's the good news. Because if the deal were keep all the rules and you're good, that would not be good news. The good news is Jesus died in your place and you can have his righteousness. And so if you've never responded to that before, if you've never trusted him and expressed to God that you believe and trust Jesus for salvation, today, stop trying to do it yourself. Today, let him do it. And if you made that decision a long time ago, like I did, every single day when we wake up knowing that our our trust is in God for salvation, that it rests with him, and that our hope is in Jesus' return, that he's coming back, and we're waiting patiently for that. The gospel, the truth, that I can't earn God's favor through my behavior, and that he's not just looking for me to do things. He's not just looking for me to say things. He's looking for me to be someone. That it's not about what I do. It's about who I am. And whether my heart is being drawn continually to Christ, whether my desire is to be as much like him as I can possibly be and to allow my heart to pull and move my hands and allow my heart to pull my mind and allow the heart, my heart, my true heart and passion to love and follow and honor Jesus, to to make my lips move the way that they need to move so that what's truly in my heart, which is which is love for Jesus Christ, enabled, empowered, and driven by the Spirit, can then inform everything in my life. Not This is not from the outside in. This is from the inside out. That Jesus Christ would rule and reign right here. Right here. Because I know it's not because of anything that I've done that I'm a child of God. But it's because of what he has done for me that I'm a child. And that, when we truly embrace it and and walk with it, changes everything in our life. It changes all of the outside stuff. But it starts there. All right, let's take a moment. Let's pray. I want to ask God to to give us a moment of uh, true, honest reflection right now so we understand where we are, where he wants to move us to. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and uh, want you to know that we love you so, so, so much. We love you. We love you more than ourselves. And we want more than anything, God. We want you to move us and our selfishness and our human way of thinking out of the way so we can truly understand what you have for us, what what you have done. for your own glory. It's it's natural for us. You know this. This is why you, you spoke through so many authors in Scripture to tell us this over and over and over again. That it's natural for us to think that we're working on some sort of cosmic scorecard. And then if we could put, just put enough tallies on the the positive side, if we could just score enough points or earn enough favor, that that's how this whole thing works, that that's, that's, 
that's what you expect from us, that you just want good people. You want people who are better than others or better than the rest. It's sort of, a, it's a natural sense of justice that we have, God, but it's our, it's our sin, it's our selfishness, it's our focus on ourself and our own belief in our own effort that causes that. And we know it's not the way that it works. That if we do try out of our own self-effort to earn our way to you, to be justified in front of you, we understand in this room that we will fall short. That there's no way. We hope the number of good deeds outnumber the bad and it won't. It won't. And we could certainly never meet a standard of perfection. That ship has sailed for every person in this room. And so, God, we, we sit here, we stand here, and we thank you that you made a way. Even though we fall short, even though we fail, you sent your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you were willing to come and take on human form and live in the perfect way to live completely without sin. And thank you that we can see that and observe that and learn so much from your life and your teaching, Jesus. And to know that you perfectly fulfilled the law and that you gave your life on the cross in our place. You died righteous like we can't. And your offer to us, a gracious offer, is that if we trust in you for salvation, instead of trusting in ourselves for salvation. If we trust in you for salvation, you will give us your righteousness. And we can know that we will spend eternity with God in heaven and Christ in your kingdom and truly live forever as the people you created us to be. We thank you for the power and the confidence and the hope demonstrated in the resurrection. Jesus, as you rose back to life with power over sin, power over death, proving that this guarantee that you give us, this promise that you give us is true and solid and secure. And that we can trust you. We can trust you for salvation when we fall so, so short. And I pray that someone does that today here for the first time. Expresses to you that they believe and they trust in Jesus. And God, as we walk, those of us that have been forgiven and set free, those of us who stand on your love, that have put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, that have been blessed with the presence of the Spirit in our life, as we walk and as we learn and as we change, help that to happen on a true heart level for us, not just keeping rules, not just going through motions, not just being religious or being good, but truly transforming from the inside out to become like Jesus. 
Our prayer, God, is that you would reign, that you would reign in our heart, that you would reign in our life. And that we, even though we recognize we are sinful, fallen people who continue to struggle and continue to make mistakes, we've trusted in Jesus for salvation, and our goal is different now. We want to be as righteous as we can be, as holy as we can be. And we know that every time we fail, there is grace and love. And that we can pick up and continue following. And so God, in all of that for for us, give us a moment here of self-reflection to know what we need to do. Whether that's to recognize that we're a sinner for the first time and accept Jesus Christ's offer of salvation. Or whether that's to get off of our religious pedestal and stop trusting in ourselves and begin trusting in you. All of these things today, we pray God will benefit us as we bring glory to you. That they will draw us together, that will draw us closer to you, that you will receive more honor and glory in our lives, in our community, in our families. And so all of it we offer to you today, we commit to you today, and we want to follow you and honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.